King Wave thoughts, fear, luck is action, very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Tita's cat, Kim Pack's cat, you has had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday, December 29th, 2022. Welcome to episode 505. This obviously is our final show of 2022. (coughs) And I got to say... 2022 has definitely been the year of Star Trek. Um, I believe we had something like uh, 46 no, consecutive weeks. 56. How many? 56. Consecutive weeks of new Star Trek every Thursday. Never happened. Never happened in the history of Star Trek. So 2022 has definitely been the year for Star Trek, which is awesome. And uh, we're going to have a great show for you guys tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Prodigy Supernova Part 1. That's last week's episode, not the one that's on today, last week's episode. We'll talk about today's episode next week. That'll be our first show of 2023, so bear that in mind. Uh, we've we got a great show planned for you guys. We're going to talk about the fate of the 1701E, and did we witness it? I don't know. Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. And uh, guess who's coming back to Picard season three? And uh, Roddenberry is going to be having a Star Trek tribute in orbit. So if you're interested in any of these things, you definitely want to hang out for our Star Trek news section because we've got that and so much more. We also have convention calendar so that you can find out where you can go in your area to meet other like-minded fans. We have our fan shout-outs and, of course, our Star Trek birthdays. And, um, Eric, Eric, if our fans wanted to go and check out last week's show, for instance, or two weeks ago's show, where could they go to find that? Well, Jim, it's even easy for me. I just have one link to trektalking.com and it sort of gets me to where I need to go relative to our podcast. Yeah, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. And Paul, if somebody wanted to go and and find out a little bit of information about me and my Trek spurts and maybe see a picture of us, because honestly, we have the faces for radio, which is why we're here. (laughs) Speak for yourself. Speak for yourself, (laughs) Uncle Jim. (laughs) 
No, no, no. You know, you're busy, friends. You're busy, audience. You're so busy, you barely have time. You confuse making eggs with, uh, uh, with you know, changing diapers. Your, your sea of consciousness is a maelstrom of absolute anarchy. You can barely remember your own name. You need something simple that will help you be able to focus, something you can get instant gratification. Did I say instant gratification? It's that fast. Instant gratification. You've got to go to trektalking.com. TrekTalking.com. It's the same name as this show, same name as the Facebook page, same name as the vertebrae of the spine that holds your soul intact. TrekTalking.com. It's that easy, isn't it? That easy. So, guys, that is great, uh, by the way. The hell with your dismissals in my visage. (laughs) (laughs) Our phone number here is 646 668 2433. So please let your fingers do your walking and call Trek Talk, and we'd love to hear what you think about tonight's episode, last week's episode of Prodigy, or if you just want to call and say hello, yeah. give us a call, 646-668-2433. As of right now, we have 120,681 downloads of this podcast, so thank you to each and every one of you guys, no matter where you're listening from, for making that happen. And we have 105,516 likes on our Facebook page, which is awesome. And before we get too far, I'd like to go around and introduce to you all my awesome Trexperts. And we'll start off with David, the maybe donut guy. He's out in Portland. How you doing, David? Pretty good, pretty good. No donuts today, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, did you at least bring the tribbles? Uh, yeah, no tri- I, brought, I brought my troubles along, so. Okay, tribbles are good. Tribbles are always good. And also hailing from Portland, we have our very own Paul the Wine slash Toy Guy. How you doing tonight, Paul? There is no barrier we cannot overcome, Jim. We are ready for everything that happens tonight. So bring the chaos, bring the madness, bring the checking. We are ready for it. Feeling ready, feeling saucy. Get that every last molecule of anarchy ready for the you've got per year. You get a certain quota of billions of you know anarchy molecules that are given to you each year, and I am down to the bottom of the drain using those last few potent molecules. So look out. All right. And also hailing from Portland as well, we have our very own Eric. How you doing tonight, Eric? Oh man, you guys! I am doing great. I uh, I had a nice day off of uh, doing some house chores, a little remodeling in portions of my house. But moreover, right before the podcast, I received via mail my best Christmas present yet. That's just a little bit late. I now am a proud owner of the Playmates Classic Star Trek NCC seventeen oh one USS Enterprise, and I cannot wait to go play with it after this podcast. Yes. I do not want to rush the podcast, but it looks like it's going to be really cool. (laughs) Lights and sounds, lights and sounds. Oh, my gosh. So I decide, you know, uh, one of y'all asked me just before the podcast whether or not they used the original voices. And I will say it is authentically, for sure, Kirk's voice on most of the voiceovers. There is one, which is the Arming Photon Torpedoes voiceover. I'm a little suspicious of. That sounds a little bit more like an actor who's perhaps trying to uh, with a British accent or something. I don't know. It's a little bit weird. But all the Mm, other ones, absolutely William Shatner. Very cool, well, man. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. It's the way he says, arming photon torpedoes. That gives it away. <laughs> that, that's how you know. And when he 
says arming, you know it's not William Shatner. Arming photontorpedoes. <laughs> yes. And also, our my final truck spurt, hailing from Las Vegas, Nevada, our very own Charles. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good, Uncle Jim. Uh, weather-wise, we're still not quite as bad as other states, but... We've also got some bad news hitting us. We might actually see some rain as the fireworks should go off. So we are going to wait and see. Not snow, but just rain. Uh, New Year's Eve fireworks. Oh, those fireworks. I forgot. Those fireworks. Those fireworks, huh? We We don't have New Year's up here in Vermont. Oh my gosh, you're stuck constantly in the previous year? That sucks, man. You just kind of wake up and there it is. <laughs> no, uh, no wormhole, dude? Come on. You Wait, just kind of wake what up. What year is it? What year is it for you? And there we are. <laughs> yeah, Jim's in some kind of Groundhog Day universe up there. You know. <laughs> Oh, now it all makes sense. Star Trek Five, etc. I'm yeah, he's still waiting for in. the last season yeah. of Voyager to air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I get it. I get it. <laughs> so at any rate, uh, we have a great show planned for you guys tonight. But as always, we like to start off our show with our remembrances. But before we do that, before we do that, I want to play an ad for you guys because I have some great stuff that I'd love to give away to you right now. Alien Con is back. Join us March 4th through 5th at the Pasadena Convention Center for a weekend of exploration and meet your favorite experts from Ancient Aliens, The Secret of Skidwalker Ranch, The Unexplained, and The Proof is Out There. Tickets at TheAlienCon.com And I happen to have right now in my hands, well, not in my hands, they're digital, but I have a pair of weekend passes that I would love to give to you to go to the convention. All you have to do is what, Paul? What do they got to do? Well, first of all, you have to find out where the convention is. <laughs> where is the convention, Jim? <laughs> is it in California? If you, if, Pasadena, if you California. Go, Excellent. And I think you've you got to go to, to like, TrekTalking.com, and there should be yeah. a, I believe it's a, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's an, a microphone icon, a microphone button, a microphone radio button, something like that. Am I right, Jim? Am I seeing that yeah. in my mind correctly? Uh, I, absolutely. And you're going to, I think you're going to click on it, and you're going to leave us a message explaining why you, caller, fan, uh, super fan, uh, top fan, whoever you may be, um, why you deserve to go to alien con it's not because you are going to have a rendezvous with jillian anderson that's probably not going to happen uh but no. you may be exposed to alien dna and all kinds of other cool things will probably happen too if you are lucky enough to go and you're in the somewhere in that whole you know inland empire california greatest state of mind place proximity to god you should go so why not go for free that's right and while you're at trektalking.com you can find out all the information on Alien Con, the hotel, who's going to be there, the events that are planned. Everything is right there at trucktalking.com. So click on the microphone and tell us why you want to go. And make it good. Make it good because the best message will win. And I hope it's you. I really want it to be you. So entertain us. Make it good. And uh, 
you'll get a pair of ticket weekend passes to Alien Con, which is awesome. All right, guys. So this is the part of the show where we do our fan shout outs. Now, our fan shout outs um, come from our Facebook page. And Charles, <laughs> Charles, how can our fans quickly and easily get to our Facebook page? Well, if you're like me, you've got to already pinned in a tab, or you can just go to trucktalking.com, and there's a link to the Facebook page on the, on the website. That's right. Very, very easy, guys. And if you go there, pinned to the top of the page, you will see the Live Long and Prosper asking you, you know, where you're listening from. Tell us your name and where you are, and if you see a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim, then that means that your name is going to be mentioned on a future fan shout-out. You'll be forever immortalized as not only a fan of Star Trek, but a listener of Trek Talking. So, Eric, why don't you get us started? Yeah, our very first fan shout-out this week goes all the way to the center of Europe to Bavaria, Germany. That's a big region. I don't know what city, but uh, Bavaria is a place I would love to visit. Birgit or Giltinger. Thank you, Birgit, so much for listening to us from Germany. We really, really appreciate it. Live long and prosper to you. We're also saying hello this week to top fan Mike Matthews, who's saying hello from South Africa, all the way down there in the other hemisphere, sending us a South African flag as well. Thanks, Mike. Uh, big kapla going out to you, brother. Really appreciate your support. Fernando Paulo Souza is saying hello to us from Sorocaba in San Paulo, Brazil. Oh, Brazil is one of those places I would also love to go. Big, big country, lots of culture, lots of food. Lots of architecture, and being an architect myself, oof, gets my ha- uh, gets my uh, blood running. Love it. Fernando, Paulo, Souza, thank you for saying hello to us. And my final fan shout-out goes out to Panos Vestos Tanya Chitiri in Greece. Ah, another place I need to visit. Holy smokes. I got all the places I want to visit on my fan shout-out list. What about you, Charles? Who do you have on your list? Well, I'm going to start right off with top fan Joseph Michael Scott from Phoenix, Arizona, just south of me. That's seven hours. Top fan Lisa Pope. Pop. Yeah. Popeek. I'm going to say Popeek. Right here in Los Angeles. I'm going to say Popeek. Sounds good. Popeek. Yeah. Right here in Las Vegas. I don't know this person. She needs to come look up the USS Las Vegas and come join us. Kim Robel from Cape Canaveral, Florida. Ooh. I wonder if she's seen any launches. That'd be cool. Yes. And Daniel Eugene Tippinger from Dallas, Texas, who mentions that his dad took him to a Star Trek convention where he got to see Patrick Stewart. Yeah, I was actually at that convention in Las Vegas when Patrick Stewart announced the pre-release of Picard. You know, Charles, I didn't get to go see. I didn't get to see him at a convention, but do you remember when we got to see him at the uh, premiere we went to in Hollywood? Yep, I remember that. That was pretty cool. Nobody expected Patrick Stewart on stage. 
So when he walked in, he walked on stage. I'm sure people down the casino probably heard the cheer. <laughs> and that's, that's a couple hallways away. Long hallways away. I can but I know now. the fact that uh, I heard comment that people in the dealer's room, which was down a, down a couple of halls the other way, could hear the cheer and knew something was going on. It's not so, just Patrick Stewart. It's Sir Patrick Stewart. I mean, come on. It is. Oh, sorry. Sir Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> He's definitely a good spokesperson for for, for uh, Star Trek, especially a lot of what he's been doing during the pandemic, waited over the holidays, his first run in TikTok. If you haven't seen some of his stuff with his Shakespeare work or his w- reading of Charles uh, Dickens, it's so worth it. But, David, who's on your list? Yeah. Uh, sorry for my. There uh, he is. Uh, hi. <laughs> I'm the, uh, trying to pronounce this uh, last name here, but sorry if I butcher it. So, yeah. So I guess what I'm gonna do is uh, say hello to Eugene Nickfer. I think that's how you say it. Perfect. From Bell Sports. What's that? Perfect. Oh, <laughs> from Bell. Uh, Forty South Dakota. Uh, next on the shout out is Cami Colgraf from Belfair, Washington State. Third on my list is Ro, uh, Ramona Ramona Janke Halstead from California, USA. Last on my list is Christopher Jones from New Hampshire. <clears throat> Paul, who's on your list? Well, let's go and spin the old globe back over to the continent, shall we? First of all, I'd like to extend a hearty kapla and greetings to Cinzia Giulina in Italy, the cradle of civilization in my eye. Sorry, Greece, I love you too. But Italy is always going to be where I want to hang my hat. I don't know where you are in Italy, uh, Cinzia, but you're flying the flag proudly and uh, wherever you may be. Bonacera, Mayor Gelato, never melt. Not too far down the road in Belgium, in Antwerp, we have a fan, Martin Andres, is there as well, proving once again, friends, that uh, Star Trek fandom and enthusiasm is a global phenomenon that cannot be denied. And then also, a little bit further over in uh, Central Europe, in uh, Moravia, that is a, a region east of the Czech Republic, uh, we have a fan there as well in uh, Central Europe, giving us a huge greetings to Cyril Karal in Moravia. Thank you, Cyril. Uh, thank you so much for being a fan. And all the way down on the other side of the planet in Otago, the South Island of New Zealand, it's Adrian Rowe, top fan, Adrian Rowe in Otago. Thank you all for being fans of the podcast and of all things Trek, and thanks for listening. Uncle Jim. Well, we want to say kapla to Olivia, Olivia Tierney, who's listening in Northern Ireland. Thank you so much. Uh, we want to say kapla, and today is a good day to die, to Chris E. Lee, 
who claims to be listening from Quonos, the heart of the Klingon Empire. Whoa. Hmm. Whoa, huh? whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure about that one. Chris, come on now. Is that yeah, true, I'm not, brother? I'm not sure. I love it. But, I love it. Uh, you know, um, uh, unfortunately, if he's listening, he's either, either listening over subspace or he is listening to show number 97 as the broadcast show number 505. Well, it could be the historical records, too. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You know, <laughs> it takes a long so, time for that radio signal to make it to Kronos. Yes. But we appreciate it anyways, uh, Chris. We also want to say live long and prosper to Jay Barrett Lee, who's listening to us in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Thank you, Jay Bartlett Lee. We also want to say kapla to Helen Lawson, who's listening to us in Liverpool, England. And uh, that's a place where we should have heard of, right? Isn't that that place where uh, that, that, that group there with Elvis Presley came from? Uh, well, it's they're like the maggots or the bugs or something. I I don't know. I I'm not that good with music, you know. You guys are yeah, killing me. Like... <laughs> yeah, that's why we're doing it. That was a long pause. <laughs> you guys are yeah. just... uh, Liverpool yeah, is famous for insult... so many things I can't even begin to say. But but I do. <laughs> what a way! To, yeah, what a way to insult another royalty, of Sir Paul McCartney. Yes, Sir Paul yeah, McCartney. Yeah. And let's not well, forget that uh, that Liverpool is also one of the most storied ship-launching destinations in all of human history. That is where the Titanic was launched, okay, from, from Liverpool. I mean, many a ship, important boat, many a yeah. ship who has sailed the globe began first touching water in, right off the coast of Liverpool. So pretty amazing place. And I want to give a shout out to my good friends, Jerry and Ellen, who are listening to us in Albany, New York tonight. So, kapla to you guys. I hope you're feeling better. All right, guys, this is the part of the show where we do our Star Trek birthdays. was not a Klingon song. And Grumpy Wharf says that every week, but we love him anyways. I guess that's what happens when you become a pacifist, right? A pacifist Klingon, I guess, would be grumpy. <laughs> uh, get, we'll have to wait for season three of Picard to find out. Anyways, did you guys watch The Ready Room today? No. Not yet. Not yet, but I will. Mm. Okay. Well, I got to tell you, wait till the very, very, very end. Because Will Wheaton has an exclusive sneak peek at Picard Season 3, and you don't want to miss it. And I won't tell you what it is. If you haven't seen it, you'll have to go and find out for yourself. Um, I was going to try to rip it and play it on the podcast, but I didn't get a chance. So you'll have to go watch it for yourself. All it right, looks guys. pretty good. It does look pretty good. Um, I got to say, we always start off our Star Trek birthdays by remembering those members of our Star Trek family who sadly enough are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim, our first remembrance this week goes out to actor James Gregory, who played Dr. Tristan Adams in the TOS episode, Dagger of the Mind. Uh, 
James lived to the ripe old age of 90, which is uh, pretty cool. Um, he's best known for a long career in theater, film, and television that lasted from the 30s all the way up to the 80s. So more than 50 years this guy was in showbiz. Um, he you know, started out as an assistant on Wall Street to a stockbroker, but then in the 50s moved on to film and television. Uh, made several guest appearances, and then had a regular role as Inspector Luger uh, on Barney Miller back in the day. Um, so James Gregory uh, would have had a birthday this week. Uh, happy birthday to James Gregory. Uh, December 23rd was his birthday. Legend. That's what I'm saying. I'm leaving the door wide open for you here, Paul. Tell All right, man. He is. Uh, this guy, I feel, kind of feel like uh... – like this is a one of those uncles who raised you practically. Yes. This guy was on on every TV show that ever was in like the seventies, right? I mean, you name it. Um, uh, the Virginian, uh, that yep. girl, uh, yep. Mission Impossible, Check. the Night Stalker, All in the Check. Family, Columbo. I mean, uh, yep. Love American Style, Streets of San Francisco, Partridge Family, McCloud, and Mash. I mean, he was on everything. But for me, okay, there will be one James Gregory. That is just I always think of when I hear that guy's voice. He was General Ursus in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. That's right. Right. Who goes down there where all the mutants are worshiping the nuclear weapons and yeah, God, eh? Yeah. <laughs> let them have it. And you, you gotta you gotta give him uh, props, man, for the the most memorable toast in all of Star Trek. When he, it's a Tantalus colony, right? <laughs> to all mankind, may we never find space so vast and planets so cold that we cannot fill them with love and warmth before he begins brainwashing everyone. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He's the greatest, dude. What a and, great character actor, though. Marvelous. And you can't forget about, I mean, Paul, you mentioned some great ones. You can't forget about Manchurian Candidate. You can't forget oh, yeah. about, he was, he was on the Twilight Zone. Uh, he was on Alfred Hitchcock Presents. I mean, this guy was on almost literally everything. <laughs> back yeah, in the day. I, I think if his agent was conscious, he was on the phone. I really yeah. think he's one of those, you yeah. know, he just worked in everything. But he's just, he's unmistakable. There's no other voice. You're never going to mistake, you know. James Gregory's voice for somebody else. He's just one of those just legends, right? And he's just, uh, you know, if you wanted somebody to, uh, I just love that he started off as a stockbroker, right? Mm -hmm. This is boring. I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Just picture it, right? But he would always like play like a a loud, tough cop or a disgruntled businessman who knew knew better than everyone else, kind of arrogant, right? He was just, he was just fantastic. He's just, endlessly entertaining actor man so what a what a great person to have be part of the enduring legacy of star trek dude just the best and uh he would have been 110 years old this year uh had he been still with us so uh, unfortunately james gregory lost way back in uh 2002 a classic uh historic actor yeah thanks paul that was that was awesome i love talking about him like that so happy birthday james gregory we're also saying happy birthday this week to Buddy Garion, who played Karf in the TOS episode, A Piece of the Action. 
Uh, also a long-lived person, lived to be the ripe old age of 89 years old. Uh, fewer acting credits, uh, had some guest stars in Dr. Kildare, Berg's Law, Matlock, The A-Team, uh, did a TV movie, uh, and then, uh, you know, did a couple of other small-budget uh, movies in the 21st century here. Uh, unfortunately, we lost him in 2013, so Buddy Darian would have had a birthday this week as well. Happy birthday as well to another super heavy hitter, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Miller would have had a birthday this week. He's got two Star Trek credits, but many, many more acting credits to his credits. Uh, he first portrayed the holographic newsender in the TNG episode, The Big Goodbye, and then appeared as Vin in the DS9 episodes, Past Tense, Parts 1 and 2, which we have talked about Many times, uh, because uh, we're only uh, two years away from that time period, uh, so that's kind of Lord at this time. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> Thanks for terrifying me, dude. I know. I'm so sorry. Uh, but Dick Miller was a veteran of many, many campy and often humorous fiction and horror movies. Um, the Terminator. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's some here I want to mention. Um, what I learned was that he did a ton of work uh, with movies directed by Joe Dante. And I did not really know who he was until I sort of looked him up. And then I started looking at these movies. And we're talking about, like, yeah, I mean, we got we got big budget stuff like The Terminator and that kind of stuff in there. But we got lots of um, small budget stuff in here, too, which I think is pretty cool. He also, um, Dick Miller had side kind of things that he got to do with other Star Trek actors. For example, um, he was in a movie called Truck Turner in 1974 with Nichelle Nichols. Uh, know that. Uh, he was on several television series uh, like The Untouchables, Bonanza, Taxi. Remember him on Taxi? Uh, Police Squad, uh, NYPD Blue all over the place. Uh, you just need to look up the guy's IMDb page as far as I'm concerned. He's got too many credits to name. Uh, Dick Miller would well, have had a birthday. Well, yeah, go ahead. Don't forget Mr. Futterman from Gremlins. There, uh, that's one of ties. There's so yep. many. Good so, one. Yeah. That is an excellent one. Yeah. That's where I know Gremlins. Uh, he was in Little Shop of Horrors. I mean, it, yeah. He... He's like that face that you always see in the movie, and you're like, oh, who's that guy? Oh, yeah, that's Dick Miller. Uh, yeah. He was born on awesome. Christmas Day in 1928, uh, so I always wondered what that would be like to celebrate your birthday on Christmas Day. Uh, Dick Miller would have had a birthday this week. Uh, happy birthday to him. Uh, we're also saying happy birthday this week to Alicia Van Slick Cook. Uh, better known just as Alicia Cook <laughs> Jr. Played, he played Samuel T. Cogley in the TOS episode Court Martial. Oh, love that episode. That's such oh, a that is a character I hope we see again. Oh, uh, man, wouldn't that be a great one to We need back? to see. There's, there's, I can think of a very important job that Samuel oh, T. Cogley, yeah. attorney at law, would be perfect for on Strange New Worlds. And I'll just leave it at that. But Elisha Cook, man. I can't even, I mean, good God. I mean, he's written everything. <laughs> do I get, do I disconnect yep, myself? Yep, yep. I, are you still there? I'm still there. I'm here, but. Did we lose Eric? Uh oh, one of our cast members uh -oh. went out the airlock. Uh oh. We lost. 
Hold on, folks. I'm sure even now Eric is frantically redialing and trying to reconnect to the system and cursing his technology. So while oh, we're filling time, wondering. we'll remind you that trektalking.com can get you to anything you need. So. Why don't you pick up until he comes back? All right. So uh, I believe uh, Eric was just talking about Elisha Cook Jr. We were just kind of doing a quick thing about uh, – that's probably him right there um, – about uh, original series episode uh, – Court Martial, of course, but uh, this is an actor who is in everything. I mean, you just uh, check him out, and like we often say, check out the IMDb, right? But here's a guy with like over 220, you know, cinema and TV credits. I mean, he's been in you know legendary pictures, um, Rosemary's Baby, <laughs> The Maltese Falcon. I, it doesn't get much more legendary than that. So if there's a enduring movie Hall of Fame, Elisha Cook is in there. Uh, we're also remembering uh, Bernard Cates, who played Sigmund Freud in the Next Gen episode Phantasms, which is an awful lot of fun. Excellent stuff there. Uh, also, uh, happy birthday remembrances go out to Charles Maxwell, who played Virgil Earp in the original series episode Spectre of the Gun. We have been remembering that a lot lately. Um, super, super, super fun episode. Uh, but a great one, and I think it's time for me to revisit it, being a Western fan, because it's been a long time. And I'm seeing here in the mists of the ether in front of me that Eric has rematerialized from his uh, trip to the wormhole. I wouldn't dream of denying Eric this next remembrance. Uh-oh. We're barely a big guy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Can you, can you boost your signal? Can, Can you, you boost, boost your game? <laughs> we need more navigators. Try turning your computer off and then turning it back on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Congratulations, you're now qualified to work in IT. <laughs> well, you know, guys, uh, I don't know what's going on with oh, my internet connection, but luckily, luckily, that. Trek Talking provides a phone number that you can call into, uh, and you well, know, we all, is there anything they we, can't do with Trek Talking? My God, it's 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 really stunning, you guys, because we've got multiple technological routes to our stuff. We've got TrekTalking.com, and of course, we have our phone number, which I am. Now using, since my internet connection is apparently unstable, but you too can call in at 646-668-2433 any old time here if you want to talk to us. But as we continue our remembrances, I would just like to say um, this one is pretty special. Uh, as, a, as a lover uh, way back in the day when I was just a youngling of Marvel Comics, uh, you're saying, Eric, wait, Marvel Comics, this is a Star Trek show. Well, People forget that Stan Lee, that's right, the Stan Lee, the, the great old granddaddy of Marvel Comics, actually has a connection to Star Trek. Um, back in the day, he was credited as uh, the Stan Lee Presents uh, title on a number of Star Trek titles, including Star Trek Starfleet Academy, Star Trek Voyager, and Star Trek Voyager Splashdown. So it's pretty cool that somebody who birthed, uh, I don't even know how many comics and movies and characters and important cultural icons uh, also has a kind of sideways Star Trek connection. Um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Do you guys have anything you'd like to say about Stanley? 
Oh, I mean, uh, what can you say? He's a, he's a legend. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know. I think there was sort of, I think one word a, does fit. I believe it was Excelsior. 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 That's right. Yep. Yeah, well, uh, Stanley, uh, unfortunately, uh, he would, well, fortunately, he would have had a birthday this week, but we lost him many, many years ago. So happy birthday to uh, comic icon Stanley. And the best, our, yeah, the best. The, the absolute best. And, uh, and if he wasn't the best, then our final remembrance this week goes out, you guys, to uh, the queen of Star Trek. I, I guess that's Lucille Ball, but this one here is pretty close to royalty. Um, lost just last year, um, Nichelle Nichols, uh, Lieutenant Uhura herself, would have had a birthday this week. Uh, we, of course, know her I, uh, from the original series, uh, from the animated series where she voiced her original character, uh, and she was also able to be in the first six Star Trek movies. Um, there's so much you can say about Nichelle Nichols. A lot of people know her story uh, of uh, how Martin Luther King came to her and convinced her to stay in Star Trek because it was such an important thing to have representation of an African-American character there. But uh, I found some other trivia that I thought you guys might find interesting on this, uh, the anniversary of her birthday. Uh, so not only w did she play her own uh, self in the original series, as we said, and also voiced her character in the animated series, uh, an image also appeared of her in the Star Trek Next Generation, uh, in Star Trek Generations uh, in a photograph in Kirk's cabin in the Nexus. Uh, and if you do not remember that, you should go back and check that out because I think that's kind of cool. I did not know that uh, she actually lobbied to appear as Guinan's daughter as well in Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, and uh, Richard Arnold added to that by suggesting at the Los Angeles Creation Convention in 1990 that Nichols might appear as Guinan's mother or daughter. However, we never got that uh, in Next Generation. Man, how cool would that have been to have Michelle Nichols yeah. have a crossover with Guinan? Um, but Nichols was actually originally discovered way back in the day by, do you guys know who? Jazz legend Duke Ellington. That's right. In her mid-teens, Duke Ellington uh, and Lionel Hampton were the first people to discover her um, as a singer and a dancer. And she broke into action uh, acting in the film Porgy and Bess in 1959 with Sammy Davis Jr. Um, she was able to reprise her role as Uhura in 2006 in the fan film Star Trek of Gods and Men, which you guys should definitely check out if you've not seen it. Uh, and she was the very first African-American actress to have her handprints in front of Grumman's Chinese Theater, uh, which Charles and I know, uh, I know for sure have seen. Uh, I don't know if any yeah. of the rest of y'all have been there to see it, but it's pretty cool to see all the Star Trek actors and their handprints in the concrete there in front of the theater. So uh, there's so much to be said about Michelle Nichols. I mean, obviously, one of the most important people in all of Star Trek. So uh, do you guys want to say anything about her before we move on to the rest of our birthdays? Oh, You cannot forget Woman in Motion. Not only uh, did her good. Star Trek work, but all her work she did with NASA. 
Yeah, so uh, she was actually, if anybody's not familiar, uh, way back in 1975, Dr. Jesko von Putkamer suggested to her that she become an advocate for NASA. And um, she eventually did, uh, and in those mid-70s era, uh, within six months, the applicant count uh, for people of color and uh, women Women. in NASA went from uh, a fewer than 100 to more than 1,600 applicants simply because of her advocacy. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, Woman in Motion is a great movie. You should definitely watch it if you haven't seen it to learn more about her influence on NASA's recruitment program uh, in the mid-'70s there. Awesome. And, of course, I remember her for the awesome fan dance in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. I got us through that. Yeah, (sighs) for sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know what, Jim? One of the highlights of that film, I'm not going to say few highlights because we all have different opinions, but definitely (laughs) seeing her up there dancing and singing was pretty cool. Yeah, got to throw that in there. Absolutely. All right. All right. Charles. Yeah, go ahead. Who do you got on your list, buddy? Okay. Let's start off with Eileen Seeley, who played... McKinney's and TNG's The Ensigns of Command. Interesting little side note is that she appeared in the movie Batman Forever. Is one of the ep- uh, one of the series she, uh, one of the movies she was in. Happy birthday to Timothy Carhart. Played Lieutenant Commander Christopher Hobbs in TNG's Redemption 2. Also had quite a few reoccurring roles in, or reoccurrence in 24, uh, CSI, and currently in Yellowstone. So Timothy is very active in many series. He sure is, man. Infamous role in Thelma and Louise, too. He's basically the the catalyst that makes the whole plot happen. And he's an unforgettable role. He's, he can be somebody you love to hate. Yep. Emmanuel Cabongo portrayed Kavir in Discovery's Unification 3. Thomas Decker, who at the time was known as Thomas Alexander Decker, portrayed Thomas Picard, Picard's son in Star Trek Generation. Then as Thomas Decker portrayed Henry... Relay in Voice episode Learning Curve and Persistence of Vision has uh, quite a few roles as many kids shows, but also had a also had an interesting role of Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. He actually played John Connor, so a lot of interesting roles with him. And finally, Patrick Fisk. Fish, Fischler portrayed in Terra Prime's member Mercer in Enterprise episode Demons. Paul, who's on your list? I'm jealous with the first one you've got. <laughs> Thanks, Charles. 
Well, I'll tell you what, uh, how fabulous and fitting it is to have uh, somebody who has a December birthday whose first name is Noel. And happy birthday goes out to our good friend Noel Wells, who uh, voices Ensign Devana Tendi on favorite show Star Trek Lower Decks. Absolutely a delightful presence, uh, makes that character so uh, appealing. And uh, and charming and likable, uh, not an easy feat to do, but really you just you just cannot help but like Tendi. Uh, uh, Noelle Wells has been on Saturday Night Live, uh, all kinds of different uh, appearances that she's had uh, over the years, not just voice work, but a lot of other uh, good roles as well. Uh, but terrific uh, presence. I really hope we get to see a whole lot more of uh, Ensign Tendi on Lower Decks because yeah, it's a phenomenal uh, depiction. Really, really great. Happy birthday also to Paul Wilson with two L's in Wilson who played Loquar in Voyager's episode of The Void. haven't thought about that one in a long time. The Void, but where he played Loquar. And happy birthday also to uh, Ian Rayburn. Okay, going back to uh, Strange New Worlds episode of Quality of Mercy. That's pretty fresh in our minds there. We played Robert Tomlinson in that uh, role. Uh, that name should ring familiar to folks, uh, given the story uh, on there. I'll leave it to you to make the connection. A character named Tomlinson on that classic timeline. We'll see if anyone's able to connect the dots on that. And another Noel. It seems like people who are born in December often get named Noel. How fabulous is that? Except this is a gentleman here, a really wonderful actor named Noel D'Souza, uh, right, who played in the Star Trek Voyager episode Darkling. Uh, Noel D'Souza played Mahatma Gandhi, the great Mahatma himself. Uh, Noel D'Souza was born in 1925, is a really illustrious Indian actor, and it's absolutely great to see uh, such a profound historical figure depicted with such reverence and uh, indelibly on an episode of Star Trek. And finally, more uh, recently here, moving up to Picard, we have uh, happy birthdays going out to Ayushi Chahabra, who played Pell in the Star Trek Picard episode, Stardust City Rag. That's what I've got. I want to wish everyone in uh, the Star Trek universe who had a December birthday, uh, milk it for all you got, because <laughs> it's really the end of the year. Turn it into a huge celebration. That's what my wife does with her December birthday. Jim, who you got, buddy? Well, I've only got five, so we're almost done, and then we're going to talk about Star Trek Prodigy Supernova Part 1. So I want to start off by saying happy birthday to Spencer Eli Daniel, who played George Samuel Kirk in Star Trek 2009. I also want to say happy birthday to Nicholas Meyer, who directed Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. He wrote the screenplay for Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, and, and Star Trek excuse me, VI, and served as consulting producer on the first season of Star Trek Discovery. He's done a lot legend. of Star Trek. Legend, legend. legend. And I got to tell you, a funny story about him. He's he's very well known in the in the world of um, uh, uh, what do they call them the um, the people that the Holmesian aficionados. Yes, yeah, so what do they call them? They're not Hoovians. They're what Holmesians? Yeah, I think I think well, a lot of times I've heard Holmesians. Uh, they may have a. 
I think it's just a Holmesian, is what I've Holmesian. heard. Yeah. Right? It might be Holmesian. All right. Yeah, but basically they're folks who are relating to uh, Sherlock Holmes, who are aficionados, and I believe he's one of the greats. Right. And anyways, I have no idea about Sherlock Holmes. Well, I know who he is, but I couldn't tell you anything beyond that. Down here in Bennington, Vermont, back when I was in New York, that's how long ago this was, he was appearing at a, a Sherlock Holmes convention at the college. So me and Karen and our friends, we drove up to Bennington to meet him. And there's all the people. He wrote a book called The 7% Solution, I think. Was it? I that's think. it. Yeah. Great book, great movie. Everybody was up there having him sign this particular book. And I walk up with my Star Trek 6, the undiscovered poster. And uh, he signed it for me, and he giggled, and he said, you know, Star Trek follows me everywhere I go. I never would have thought I'd be a Star Trek fan at a doctor at a Sherlock Holmes convention. And uh, I just laughed. I believe got it. My and walked away. He was a really cool guy, Nicholas Meyer. So happy birthday to Nick Meyer. It we turns out, Jim, also, also you, you'll hear Sherlockians is what they get called as. Oh, yeah, there you go. Well, which is a little more awkward, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think Holmesian. Holmesian seems a little Holmesian sounds a little classier, don't you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, I walked in dressed up as a Klingon, so I stood out like a sore thumb. I mean, I just, you know. Classic Jim. Yeah. Yeah. My back was at the time, but uh, so... Yeah. What a great, uh, what a great, uh, he, he basically, uh, uh, Nick Meyer kind of brought, you know, life back into the Star Trek universe, right? I mean, with, with his angle of approach in terms of how he decided to direct Wrath of Khan, right? I mean, yeah. really, really yeah. uh, brought, Classic you know, vitality movie, yeah. and cojones to it, right? I mean, it was just, he because Simplicity. he didn't treat it like, like Star Trek. He treated it like a movie, right? right? He was just like, let's, yeah. let's just treat this like it's a great movie. Made in the in the, the heyday of the, the the pirate movies of the fifties, right? Let's do it like that. Yep. And 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 just straight on, right? With with no camp, and and man, I mean, I think we owe the trajectory of almost all Star Trek since then to that guy. I mean, he really did. You know, it turned it into a phoenix. It's remarkable what he did, and uh, hell of a writer. I mean, really, he brought so many of the things that we. Old Deer and Cannon for the original series characters came out of the the work that Nick Meyer did for uh, writing them and his involvement in those films and uh, and and a lot of the great stuff he did to help guide the early days of Discovery. So wonderful, wonderful creative man. Now I'm not sure if he wrote if he wrote one of the greatest lines in Star Trek. I don't know. If, did he write this? I shall leave you <laughs> as you left me. I, I don't think he wrote the screenplay on there. He certainly helped guide it. He doesn't get, you know, but it's it's one of those things where, you know, uh, a guy or two gets screenplay credit, but you know how it is, man. Everyone's working behind the scenes. Half the great dialogue in movies comes from the actor improvising, right? I mean, it really does. 
though. But uh, nobody can yell Khan like William Shatner. <laughs> I mean, I'm just really. telling you that if you if you love to pause on awkward <laughs> in film, like the moment right before he says the K of Khan is quite the facial expression on William Shatner. There, I I, I definitely recommend trying that out. <laughs> Can you put that on a continuous loop, right? Where he's just like vibrating? It's something special, it really is. <laughs> we'll have to get a screenshot up on trektalking.com. There you go. Right, I'll, guys, I'll, I'll do one, we want to say happy birthday to the doctor uh, slash uh, uh, ship's counselor. For sure. Uh, on the USS Discovery himself, Wilson Cruz. And I got to say, you know, when he first showed up, you know, like a few episodes, he wasn't in a lot of season one. He didn't show up till like halfway through season one and they killed him. And, you know, I was like, oh, he's dead. Mm. And then they brought him back. But I got to say that, you know, was big upheaval over that, Jim, because, um, because there was there was a perception at that point before we knew any better that they were killing off once again the gay character and yeah uh, I remember the kind of like oh my god what's happening right now thank goodness he came back uh, albeit in sort of a weird way but uh, more Stamets and Culber um, quality time together and I'm so glad we eventually got it yeah I, I really I really like his character I like his portrayal. And I really like the way he carries himself on social media. He's a very classy guy. When all those those okay. uh, homophobic uh, neckbeard hicks come out of the woodwork and start slinging their insults, um, he handles it with class. So happy birthday to Wilson oh. Cruz. And uh, <laughs> I, I will jump in and say, if you ever want to get an idea of what it was like for Lost him to when we regained him. Go book. Go if you've not never read it. Go look at the book Star Trek Discovery novel, Dead Endless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is very worth to see what he went through to come back. Yes, absolutely. Great book. And I always, always save the Klingons for last, and I always do the Klingons unless they're a remembrance, in which case Eric gets them. So um, I'm going to do the last two Klingons. We want to say kapla to Neil Chester Vapan, who played Derek in the DS9 episode Once More Unto the Breach, a great, great uh, Klingon-centric episode. And we also want to say kapla to Sandra Nelson, who played Tavana in the DS9 episode Soldiers of the Empire, another classic Klingon-centric episode. But she also played Mariana in the Voyager episode Alter Ego. And that, my friends... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, Jim, that she... We're lucky enough to have both Tavana and the Rotaran in Star Trek Attack Wing. So if you're a fan... Uh, go check it out. She's not the best card, but it's cool that she's represented. Yeah, absolutely. And we do have a caller on the line, guys. I'm going to see if I, if I can get this to connect. Hello, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hello? 
Hello, caller. Caller? Is that Eric's backup call where he's like calling in to keep the line open? I don't know. It could be what it is. on mute. All right. Well, okay. Anyways, we're going to talk about Prodigy Supernova Part 1. Season 1, Episode 19. Admiral Janeway persuades the guard to release her and the crew regains control of the protostar. And here is what Captain Janeway herself, or actually Kate Mulgrew, had to say about the episode. Hi, I'm Kate Mulgrew, and I voice Captain Janeway in Star Trek Prodigy. This week's lesson is that an act of apology can go a very long way. When we've been hurt by others, we can feel angry towards them. Repentance is when someone who's wounded us takes steps to make things right. Whoa, what are you doing? I'm so, I'm so sorry. I thought that was a moment and we felt the same. <laughs> Actions often speak louder than words, as we saw in this week's episode of Star Trek Prodigy. Gwyn faces her father, the Diviner, who has wronged her in many ways. In a last act of apology, the Diviner proves his love for Gwyn holding it above his need for revenge. Father! Gwyn is able to move forward with the knowledge that her father truly does love her and can forgive him for his misplaced anger. All right. So every week on our Facebook page, I ask you guys, our fans, to score the episode on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best. So Eric... What score did our Facebook followers give this week's ep- or last week's episode? Well, Jim Edward Darlow uh, just gave it a four with no explanation, so oh. not uh, not a lover of this episode. But Ellen Silber gave it a nine. Holographic Janeway couldn't have been more helpful. Top fan Simon Heath said nine point five. Thought it was an excellent episode, but. Turning the warp chillers and deflectors of the Starfleet ships was a little silly. Hmm. Not sure what you mean there, Heath, uh, Simon Heath, but thank you so much for commenting. Robert Johnson said I'd give the entire series a 10 out of 10. Woo! <laughs> Eric Joranson also gave this episode a 10. Sean Jr. gave it a 9 with an exclamation point and a live long and prosper hand. Dustin S. Wing said 10 best episode of Prodigy yet and a better Trek movie packed into 23 minutes than most full-length Trek movies. Ooh, Dustin loved this one. Max Antani gave it a 9. Marco Petra Valtinuzzi gave it an 8. It is taking too long for Starfleet to figure out what is happening, like they are all low IQ. You know what, Marco? Uh, I don't disagree entirely. Let's talk more about that later. And top fan Christy Cummings. Uh, oh, my gosh. Are you from Portland? I literally have a friend by that name. I'm going to ask her if she called in or if she uh, contacted us. She gave this one a 10. Love this episode. And so that gives us, gents, a fan score this week of 8.9, which is not too shabby. Not bad at all. There was that so one outlier who, score, the four. That I think that really, you know, brought it down a little bit there. But if you pull that out, everything else is like a nine to a ten. So yeah, you know, yeah. so I mean, that that one outlier. I'd say you got you got to sort of, uh, you know, 
fuzzy math it up to like a you know low you know low nines, right? I think people seem to generally enjoy it. Yeah, Agreed. absolutely. And now it's time for cadet training. Okay, All right, Charles. Uh, two very obvious episodes we can tie into this one. Is start off with TNG's Chain of Command, parts one and two. Season six. <coughs> season six, episode 10 and 11. This is where we get to meet Captain Jellico, which we now see in the series as Admiral Jellico. Not evil. <clears throat> we, we also have Boys Episode <laughs> Counterpoint, Season 5, Episode 10, where we meet the telepathic Bernari and Janeway's guard in this episode that trusts her for what, they, what, what Janeway did for them. Yeah. And then one more... I just want to say, Charles, I love, I personally love that crossover. And if you're going to watch one episode for cadet training this week, this is definitely the one because that was a surprise Um, to pull something out of Voyager season five and bring it back into this episode with something special as far as I'm concerned. They do a good job with this to pulling some things out. And then one more idea that popped up. Is I don't have the episode number. Actually, I could look further down on our list and go with season uh, season one, episode six, a prodigy. Let's talk about the Kobayashi. I think we kind of right. feel this one ended. This was a, with, this was kind of our Kobayashi in here. There just doesn't seem like a way of solving this, especially when Starfleet panics, they call for help. And that's a problem. <clears throat> but, Jim, right. I bet you've got a Vice Admiral log. Yes, we do. We have a Vice Armor log recorded by Vice Admiral Janeway herself. This is Vice Admiral Janeway. We are under fleet-wide red alert. Starfleet systems overtaken by enemy forces. We've lost primary control. The Dauntless is coming apart all around us. I've ordered the crew to abandon ship, evacuated with a few non-Starfleet vessels that haven't yet been targeted by the living construct. Klingons, a Gorn trader, even a few Vulcan civilian ships. Their computer systems are isolated from Starfleet for security reasons. But who knows how long it will save us. More Starfleet vessels are arriving by the minute to answer the priority one distress calls, only to be ensnared for destruction. A trap of good intentions escalating exponentially. Asensia is as devious as she is two-faced. I must believe Starfleet will endure this. But if the signal continues and the living construct adapts, who knows? Chakotay, if you're out there, somehow find us. Just know we never stopped searching. Fate's hour is upon us. 
All right. So who wants to get started? Who wants to be the first? Eric, want to jump in? Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, uh, there is a lot going on in the episode. I will say that uh, fundamentally, I kind of read it as an adventure style episode, right? There's a lot of space battle kind of stuff going on. Um, but there's also some pretty cool like, little side things, I would say. I um, love the fact that we kind of, in some ways, get a a pre-final show between the Diviner and the character's name, who I always forget that's not his daughter. What is it again? Paul, help me out. Um, her name? The, uh, the Diviner and the other character of his race. Uh, the Invictor? You mean the, the Impaler? <laughs> What's her? Essentia. That's what her name is. Sorry. Essentia. Sorry. Essentia. Uh, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't oh, you mean like what her her Volnikant name? Yeah. No, I was just trying to remember what her. Yes, exactly. Well, or yeah, any sort of name for her. <laughs> so I I love the uh, they get that sort of final, not necessarily final, but like a great showdown between those two uh, and Gwen. Uh, you know, we get. There's just a lot of action. I mean, there's like some some great moments where the prodigy is like zooming through this gigantic fleet of Starfleet ships. I have completely lost track of how many ships we have here from Starfleet, but I feel like it's, I mean, it's at least 50 ships or so. I know that that David plays one of these games where you sort of get a good view of what it looks like to be in a starship and look out at what 50 or 100 other ships looks like. And to me, when these things warping into uh, the general area, it seems like there's an awful lot of ships. Um, so, but looks like I the always Battle of Wolf 359, man. Well, the thing is, is I just never really understand how big Star. This is not a criticism of this show. I'm just going to do a little aside here, guys. I never really understand how big Starfleet is because I remember at Wolf 359, there was something about being like 40 ships, 40 something ships right there. And they said that it took them something like a year or a year and a half to rebuild from getting that many ships destroyed. Fair enough. Then we get, uh, you know, Picard. And we get like the Zheng He showing up, right? And we get like a hundred copies of the the Zheng He showing up, and all of a sudden it looks like maybe Starfleet has many hundreds of ships available. To I just don't really understand how big Starfleet is, to tell you the truth. <laughs> um, and in this episode, it's the same. I just don't know how many ships are there. It's cool that we get to see a lot of our favorites. Uh, I know one of David's favorites is the Akira. We get to see a really cool Akira class ship um i like that we finally get resolution of admiral jane really understanding what's going on and trying to actually fix the problem uh, i like that we have murph going all murph style on things right like <laughs> kind of knew he was going to save the day because uh, he's the only one that's got those cool ninja skills uh so thank you murph uh once again I like that we get a little revisit of the universal translator being down and people having to communicate with one another when they can't necessarily understand one another. I think for me, that's one of the, the um, lasting lessons of Star Trek, I guess I'll say, is that uh, yes, language is very important. Uh, it helps us communicate at a finite level and yet we can understand fundamentals 
even if we don't understand one another's tongue in full, right? Uh, so just make sure you, you pay close attention to other clues like body language and stuff. Um, so many things I think to like about this episode. I love in the end how we get the, the what we call the non-federation ships, although one of them is Klingon, so I'm confused because are the Klingons still part of the Federation? And why don't they have a Federation transponder? So there's a little bit of like lore stuff here that's a little confusing for me. Given that this show is targeted towards a younger audience, uh, I thought this was a fantastic episode. I love the amount of adventure in it. The one thing I will say is if it's a younger audience, this is kind of an intense episode, man. Like they, they got this like entity, and I can't remember, I think it was on last week's show, one of you guys brought up uh, the connection, possible connection or at least similarity between the construct and control from um, from Discovery. You know, yeah, it's a lot like control. It kind of feels sentient. Uh, they haven't said it's sentient, but the construct definitely feels sentient. It definitely feels like it at least very easily propagates among things and is very scary. So to have... X number of ships, I don't even know, 40, 50, right? Who knows? Shooting at each other at the end of this episode, including things like Defiant classes that have literally guns that are too powerful for the ship. That's what they say on DS9, right? <laughs> like, the ship is overpowered. They have to do special things to the ship just so the guns don't, like, blow up the ship <laughs> when they shoot. Um, kind of scary. Uh, so... Yeah, man, there's just a lot going on. I feel like I'm a little scatterbrained, but I definitely give this episode right up there in the nines. Uh, I'm not afraid of decimals, so I'm going to go 9.3 me. All right. Well, cool. I'll, I'll cool. jump in here if, if that's uh... – so <clears throat> when Prodigy first came on, if you guys don't recall when we reviewed it, I, I, I had one problem with it when it, in the first episode, and that was – the Star Wars robots that were running all around. And in this case, we get to see that Star well, Wars Grievous, robot. Grievous and Dreadnought. Grievous and Dreadnought is the specific okay. connection, that, I think, what you, that you're making. Yeah. I did not like that at all. Um, I, I just, it, it was just, I didn't like it at all. And the reason why I didn't like it was because it was too Star Wars. For my taste, uh, maybe that wasn't a big issue for other people, but for me, it was too Star Wars. And, I would have thought that Dreadnought would have killed these uh, characters because he's a Terminator, in essence, you know? Um, but he doesn't. I, anyway, I, let me preface that by also saying this is a kid's show. So I, I'm going to cut it a ton, I mean a ton of slack for that. But in my opinion, he, he, he would have killed them, or just outright killed them, Um which is not Star Trekky at all. So, but it's a kids show. So that was the one thing that I didn't like about the show was the whole Dreadnought Star Wars Grievous thing. Just didn't like it. All right, so that's out of the way. What I did like, I really liked when Dahl kissed Gwen. When uh, they had their moment and he kissed her, and that's been kind of brewing in the background for a long time. And he finally did something about it, which I, I thought was a really and it was tender, totally awkward. <laughs> it was it was a perfect moment. Be. It was yeah. a good moment yeah. for Star Trek yeah, totally. or for the two characters. It really was, um, and I, I thought it was well 
well written, well played, well acted. I, I, I really enjoyed that moment a lot. I also like that the diviner got his redemption. I think I think we talked about this last week. I think the diviner got his redemption when he let Janeway go last week, not knowing that Janeway was actually doll, but he let her go because Janeway had saved him. And we thought he got his redemption. But in this episode, he really redeems himself because he sacrifices himself to save his daughter. Um, That's the martyrdom, right? That's like redemption last week and then martyrdom this week. Yeah, it was just awesome. And I like how they've turned Asensia into the new big bad. At least I'm hoping she becomes the new big bad. Um, Because she killed the diviner and, you know, the whole nine yards. So I'm hoping she becomes the the new baddie of Prodigy. Um, The ships were awesome. Uh, The Defiant was there. The Enterprise was there. The Sovereign was there. Um, if you if you paused your TV and you're really super anal like me, uh, you could read the registries and the the names of a lot of the ships that were there, which was I thought really cool. The other thing that I liked was the Protostar is a small ship. I mean, I think Chakotay said it only had a crew of forty, if I recall. Yeah, that's tiny. Tiny. It's tiny. The Defiant is also smaller than a Nova. Tiny tiny, tiny ship, too. So when Dahl says, you know, to take off, and they're scooting between the starships and whipping all around, and the Defiant gets on their tail. I thought that was so cool because the Defiant would be able to keep up with the Protostar like that. Question is, who was the captain of the Defiant? I don't know. Kira? Well, and, and, and Jim, like, one of the things that they sort of gloss over in this episode is that while all these ships are shooting at each other, like, there are people dying, right? Like, if you're an adult, you kind of understand that, like, there's ship, uh, excuse me, blowing up, and there are a lot of people dying on board these ships while they're shooting at each other. And I, it's it's kind of one of those things that made me go, whoa, this is a kid's show. But then I kind of realized that maybe kids wouldn't get that. And that is one of the things that makes this show so brilliant is that it, it has multiple layers, right? The kids get it, and then the adults get it on a different layer. Well, if I remember correctly, Janeway makes a statement that she's abandoning the ship. And, and I think the Klingon ship that shows up is being people lower. I, I think there's a line in there about that. And um, – the, the, the ships that don't have Federation signatures are beaming people aboard. Um, now, that's not to say that people didn't die. Obviously, they did. There were some destroyed ships floating around. So, yes, people died. But they made a point of saying that they were rescuing people. And I think a kid might hear that and say, oh, okay. You know, I mean, I'm not a kid. But yeah, totally. And, and the fact that, like, many like the 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 fact that many of these non starfleet ships were showing up literally just to take fire i think is kind of a cool star trek lesson i think it's this um this idea that like the group as part of a common cause is stronger because each individual component of the group can actually absorb some of the flack that's coming from whoever right in this case it's the fire that's actually coming from the friendly ships they bring in all these other ships okay now all the friendly ships are taking half the hit 
because all the ships that came in are taking the other half of the hit. Yeah, and I thought it was cool that Gwen speaks Klingon. Yeah, I thought she that, speaks was, so many that was so languages. cool. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, other than the Dregnox thing, um, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. I thought it was very well done. The action was cool. Um, seeing all the ships that we that we know, like the USS Centaur, that last appeared on Deep Space Nine, and uh, that was the the ship that Captain Sisko's friend was in command of when they stole the the uh, the Beetle Bug and they were going to infiltrate the Dominion. You guys, remember that? Yeah. And, and the yep, and then and his friend who's on the Centaur intercepts them and they have to fire on the Centaur, uh, his friend's ship. Yeah. Um, that was yep. the centaur, and we see the centaur in this episode. So that's pretty cool. Um, and as Charles said, there, there were some references to some other episodes of Voyager, <laughs> <coughs> which is always great because now you can go back and watch them. So for me, um, and this is only a part one. we got to watch part two tonight. But for me, part one, uh, you know, I'm going to go with an eight on this one, 8.5. 8.5. I can't, I really can't go any higher because the dreadnought thing, I don't like dreadnought. I'm sorry, guys. I don't. <laughs> it, it doesn't feel like it fits in Star Trek to me. I, it, he's like a Terminator, you know, General Grievous thing. And I didn't like him when we saw him in the beginning, and I, I still don't like him now. So um, that's why I'm going to give it an 8.5. And uh, Paul, do you want to, you want to go next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... It's interesting, you know. I mean, I I think Dreadnought's fun myself. Um, I, you know, uh, though I gotta say, you know, he's he's not representing Star Trek as a Federation. He's from an outside universe, right? He's from an outside culture that is supposed to seem very different and threatening compared to you know what we're used to. So I don't necessarily see a straight line to like General Grievous. He's just you know an automaton, right? Uh, that's all. But. That being said, I did kind of find him a little distracting and annoying in this episode. Um, the same way I found a lot of other stuff a little distracting and annoying is there was a little let me let me cut it up into the yin and the yang if I can right the for me, the yang was the, I found there was way too much excitement and reverence for complicated technological stuff okay and when I'm in it for the drama, that's what I'm in it for. I'm in it for the character stuff. And when I see these big, bombastic, like Wolf 359-ish space battles, I tune out, right? To me, it's just like, it's almost kind of like technical fan service, right? It's like, oh, did you see the, uh, the you know, the Enterprise E? Wasn't that great? Did you see the, you know, to me, it's just like, it's, it's, it's more like a game of where's Waldo? and less like a piece of scripted drama, right? It's just like there's a lot of things to kind of amuse the fans and make you feel that you're part of something bigger because you recognize, you know, XYZ ship. I, I just, this always really gets in the way of the drama for me and slows things down. Um, fortunately, that was fairly short-lived, right? So uh, to me, uh, as soon as we get away from that stuff and get back into the life and death stakes of what's going on for these characters, Right. What's going on with Dal and what he's discovered about himself? What's going on about, you know, the big threat going on to, to the entire Federation here and the frustration that not, you know, just Vice Admiral Janeway has, but 
hologram Janeway is is really in a rock and hard place too, and uh, becoming as, as much of a distinctive character as you know the, the person she's uh, modeled after, which is really interesting. Um, so for me, what really uh, brought me back around though was the characters because they do such a really good job of making these folks uh, uh, relatable. And I would argue I don't really think that that Prodigy is a kid show. I mean, it may have been sold as a kid show, but I feel like if you were sitting in the writer's room of this show, I think that literally 50% of the emphasis is like, let's make sure that this is speaking to an adult fan audience as much as a new gateway kid audience that's new to this whole thing. I feel like they really do reverently try to make sure that the adult sensibilities of fans are being spoken to. Um, What really, uh, brought me over was uh you know a lot of times you know you kind of uh, it's like my wife and i have a joke when we're watching tv series right is that usually the second to the last episode the penultimate episode is the strongest episode and then the finale is sort of underwhelming right it's like you, you can see name a hundred tv shows that are like that they got a great penultimate and then the finale doesn't really you know stick the landing and i felt that this one uh you know to me did what a penultimate should do is set you up for a really great finale, right? For, to really show that, okay, all the pieces are being woven together. Here's where the stakes are. Oh my God. And then you're left at that cliff, right? Uh, the way things go. I would have expected the diviner plot to end next week, presumably, or I guess I should say this week, right? Because he's been the, the, the bigger villain of the piece. And I thought it was a really great choice to, to have it end with his death and redemption. I thought that was really, really great. And for me, I found it was surprisingly compelling, all right, because he's been kind of a, a you know, grumbly, you know, mean-spirited, uh, you know, character for the bulk of this series, right? And And to be able to go back to that part of him where it's really all about his daughter, right? And, you know, having to make her sacrifice for her behalf, because of his believing in her. Um, I thought that was really cool, right? I really liked that. And that's a big testament to uh, John Noble's work as an actor, right? That, that you can take somebody that you've just been like, you know, seeing as a, uh, you know, a, a grumpy villain for the most part and, and, and end up caring for him again. You know, I mean, uh, I thought that was really great and a really nice moment to, uh, to leave things on. So stuff like that I'm really into, the big digital special effects stuff where, you know, we're, you know, spending a whole lot of time, you know, looking over the, the different ships and, oh my goodness. And, you know, just the, the recognition factor, uh, that was, you know, a bit of an issue for me part of the way through uh, the animated show too right? Where it's just, it seems like it's kind of fan service stuff, but, uh, but I felt like they really tied it all together. And, and, you know, as much as those distracting things were for me, um, and again, I, I, one of you guys was just saying, it sort of seemed like there was way more carnage than there were consequences, right? We're seeing just this debris field yeah, of ships being for sure. torn to ribbons. I mean, you got to know that there are hundreds of, if not thousands of lives that are lost yeah. there. There's only so many escape pods. There's only so many rescues that can be done, right? I mean, it's a, it's a lot of, uh, to me, it's almost more of a historic 
apocalyptic end to the Federation's current state than what we saw with like the burn on Discovery, really. And this is a big deal. You know, and what I like is that uh, Gwendala and Dal are cognizant of that, and they really value and see the extent of the destruction that they're doing. And they're growing up thanks to the influences of these two strong <laughs> it's weird. These two strong characters who are the same character, right? Uh, they're they're being mentored by two different versions of Janeway, which is fascinating to me. So, so and it's, it's giving them a lot of compassion because she's always encouraging them to see the other, right? And uh, to to maintain that level of empathy. And you really see that in Dahl's character arc, I think, a lot. So, so while I, I found there was a little bit too much, you know, uh, sen- let's create a really amazing dinner table here with all these digital effects. Uh, I worried that that was really going to turn me off of the of the story if that was all that it was. It was a big action thing. But I think generally the characters and stuff all came together. So I'm uh, the job of this episode is to leave me sitting there drooling, waiting for the final episode next week. Okay, and based on that rubric, job well done, right? Because it really ended. I mean, oh my God, what's going to happen? Where are we going to go? I'm super worried about my friends here. I'm super worried about Dal's future. You know, I'm really concerned about what's happening to the Federation. That's how I should be feeling, right? So I think that they did a really good job of queuing me up for that. I absolutely can't wait for where we are. So based on all that stuff, doing the math for me, it's a nine. Right. There were parts of it that I was like, eh, you know, maybe more of a seven here and there. But but some total for me, some total, I, I give it a nine. Um, and the writing comes across because of the fondness of the characters. So I can't wait to be able to have the whole season under our belt and we'll see what happens. Um, you know, the, the diviner's gone. So now what? Right. I mean, that, that that's a pretty big question mark to, to leave the answer. Charles, what about you, brother? Well, okay, we've lost the diviner, but I think it's—we think we've lost the diviner because we think that that group has successfully obtained their mission. And when the Vindictor ran off, decided to take her robot, turned into a. escape pod and escape thinking, okay, she succeeded at what she wanted to do. Kind of succeeded. Looks like they're succeeding at what they wanted to do. And their goal was to destroy Starfleet. We will have to see next episode tonight to see what does happen. I'm surprised if all the ships that you mentioned came to the rescue and nobody mentioned the Vulcan ship. I was impressed that the Vulcans would come in and defend the ships. The Serac It was nice to see see one of them come in and get into battle. Because they're not as much, at this point, at this time, not as big of a group that wants to come into a fight but yet they are willing to come in to help defend and protect others. I see this show, as Eric talks about, reminds me of, oh, there are a few that come out. There's a Disney one 
with a little robot on the destroyed planet that comes to mind. Wally. Wally. Where it's like there are two storylines going on at that time because you have the kid-friendly story that the kids are enjoying. But yet there's another storyline going on for the adults that's a little more, a little more stronger. Maybe, maybe a little more political, maybe a little more of a story that at the time also gets you <clears throat> that's – actually, I should say there are three lines. You've got that kid-friendly. You've got the one where the adults can enjoy and kind of question what's going on. You've got that third layer that's for the Trekkies, a good homage to the Trekkies. And they've done a very good job, both, I see both uh, Lower De- uh, Prodigy and Lower Decks doing a great job <coughs> of the homage <coughs> to Star Trek through its years. Let's see, while we're at it, we can sneak something in that. Some of the fans will go like, oh, yeah, I've forgotten about that. Oh, Admiral Jellica was like, oh, I remember when he was captain and the issues that happened there. But that's, oh, wait a minute. You may sit there and say, well, wait a minute, who is Jellico? <laughs> go back and watch that. Go ahead and watch those two-parter. That was a very important, iconic two-parter. Especially where we got to learn a lot more about Cardassians and the famed, there are four lights. Yeah. Ugh. That's, Ugh. that's, yeah, I, I, dread. Still see me- I still see memes about that. I have to Even say that, that episode- like, I, and, and Charles, I'll just, yeah, I, there are four lights is one of the most famous memes, but I'll just say, like as a DS9 fan, Madred's character arc is literally my favorite character arc in all of Star Trek. It is so good. It's so good. Oh, very well done. Okay, I don't remember the series, but I can imagine it. But it's definitely the point. Uh, just the fact that. You got the guard there and saying, well, I need somebody who can understand and trust me. And yet the guard sits there and says, I was there when you risked yourself for us. And I do trust you, Admiral. And that just okay, hey, we're tying back in. There's a homage to Voyager. I love the writers having to figure out a way of neutralizing each of the characters where we take characters and we drop off a gravity grenade where it forces them to be weighed down. Yeah. And to use that was ice cool for to ice. And, and poor, poor Jankum got stuck under rock. <laughs> like, yeah. If there's a character you don't want to be stuck underneath with a gravity grenade, <laughs> it's rock. Yeah. Hawk. I don't know. I don't know how Jankum did it, man. He was just like, 
He's just like, oh. <laughs> and you sat there and you froze poor uh, Merv. Merv. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just, they had a good action scene. And yes, they had to find a way of neutralizing them till they could sit there and find a way of de- stopping each of them. Another great way of making us care for those characters. We're worried what's going to happen to them because we care about those characters. And they've just, they've done a good job with this series. And as some fans say, hey, definitely, I'd curious to see what they're going to do for season two. They've done a good job for season one. Let's see what they do with season two. I think I'm going to put this one maybe not quite Eric. I'll go 9.2. I'll be a tenth behind. 9.2 from Charles. I guess guess we got to see our we got our caboose. That means David David is the caboose tonight. What do you think, David? Oh, my goodness. Okay, let's just boil it down. Okay, so um, I think the one thing that we are forgetting about this particular episode that we all seem to miss was, have you guys seen the great graphics that they did to make all the explosions on the ships? And just in general, the the graphics design of how much level detailed they put into making this, not just the episode, but the entire series, of course. But to me, I was just like in awe about like watching all the uh, action going on. And it really brought more, uh, what's the word? Um, Brought me in more and more, I guess. Yeah. It it draws you in, David. Right? I know exactly what you're talking about, and I think there's something special because Star Trek Prodigy has always had a unique animation style, I think, from anything else we've seen. Uh, and I, I would completely agree. The, I also love the fact that the Prodigy itself, from a design standpoint, has a bridge that is entirely encased in force fields. So you you sit right you're sitting in the captain's chair and when you look out it's nothing but quote glass in front of you but it's all force fields yeah. right and in this episode we get like you something blasts through the force field but it only takes a couple seconds for it to sort of rematerialize and come back together and the other cool thing that i noticed was that in the graphics the way that they represented the force field was a little bit like how they did it back in discovery I remember yeah. back to season one when um, when Michael Burnham is in her little uh, brig cage, oh. you know, as as the Zheng Hao is being or whatever it was called, uh, the Shenju was being blown up, you know, and there's that like hex kind of blue hex like force field thing going on. This show had yeah. the same thing, right? It's like a, a beehive yeah. type yeah, symbol. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, um, just the graphic in general really got me interested in it because it was just so good. 
Um, uh, there's another thing, though, that I'm a little confused about because I keep hearing on, like, different social media stuff, like the Enterprise E was supposed to be in there or something. And I'm looking around in this episode, and I'm like, I can't see it. I can't see all the names and stuff. So I'm a little confused about, like, did the Enterprise uh, Sovereign class blow up, or what's going on? Can someone fill in it was, fill that in? It was, it was severely severely damaged. Yeah, and I don't know, I didn't actually look and see if the graphic, I don't think it said Enterprise E, I think it was just a Sovereign class, but I'm not sure. Well, yeah, yeah. one of the Sovereign class jumps in, it did say the U.S. is Sovereign, but right, right. I've been hearing that the Enterprise E blew up or something, or maybe yeah. just a speculation, but yeah. I don't know. I thought maybe I you guys might people, have some insight. I think people not understanding that there is more than one class of that particular ship available. No, you, <laughs> Starfleet. You, you definitely no. see the number because USS uh, Sovereign. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Which yeah, is cool because because David, right? If you're a if you're a Star Trek Attack Wing fan, we now have the USS Sovereign in Star Trek Attack Wing, right? Yeah. And. Uh, the Defiant is clearly written in this episode as being there. So as far as who's captain, my guess would have to be Worf. I mean, it just makes sense. Wow. So, I mean, at this time of age, probably maybe he had retired. I have no idea, but yeah. I was hoping maybe they would actually show some of the familiar faces into this episode, but I guess not. <laughs> uh but other than that, um, yeah, this episode was really uh, – also, another thing we forgot to actually talk about, because um, when they warped into Federation space, they forgot to mention they warped into the soul system. You see Mars in the background. Yeah, and it's su- so you know it's super close, right? And that's what I'm saying is that they're so close, and you have no idea how big the fleet actually is. Yeah. <laughs> so – and as far as an SOS signal uh, thing going on, you know, you see all these Federation ships warping in, and it's just like, yeah, they're trying to protect their home planet. <laughs> so, but I, I, I guess you have to kind of remember that this is meant to be a, a show not necessarily for the highest level sophisticated uh, Star Trek fan. I don't know, because this show, to me, has always been trying draw in new fans um, yeah. and I think that they do that through you know the fact that the main characters are all kids they're trying to to to, to pull them into situations that kids would resonate with you know uh, whether it's adults who don't understand or situations that kids have to solve by themselves so yeah. I don't know so David uh, what would you for both on a scale of one to ten, what would you score it? Oh, definitely a ten. That's that's this episode is way better than so far all the ones I've seen. A ten. All right, that's cool. So Charles, so we have the fan score. What about our host scores? Well, with the accumulation of our five scores, we have a total of nine point two. Nine point two. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up our discussion on Star Trek Prodigy Supernova Part 1, and it's time for Convention Calendar. 
Yeah, our very first convention this week is Retromania New Brownfells, January 21st through the 22nd at New Brownfells Civic Convention Center in New Brownfells, Texas. Anthro Expo is going to be the following weekend, January 27th through the 29th at the Sheridan, Oklahoma City Downtown Hotel in beautiful Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And my final convention is Charlie's Comic-Con. I don't know who Charlie is, but it sounds awesome. One day only, January 28th, Southwest Florida Masonic Center in Fort Myers, Florida. Paul, what you got for us, buddy? Did you say Anthro Expo? I love that. I did. I did. That's a great name. It's fun to say. That's almost cool enough to make me go to Oklahoma City. I, I, you know, I'm not quite there, but, you know, that's pretty good. Anthro Expo. I love that name. Kind of envious. Well, I got stuff uh, more on the uh, initially coast. Um, In February 11th through 12th, uh, leaned up to your Valentine's Day weekend, um, Long Beach Comic Expo 2023, Long Beach Convention Center. See if you can guess where. Long Beach, California. That's right. It's Long Beach Comic Expo 2023. If you head over into Charles's Bailiwick in Las Vegas, Nevada, at the Plaza Hotel and Casino on February 17th through 19th, it's Days of the Dead Las Vegas. What is it about Las Vegas and zombies and Days of the Dead? What is going on there? There has been so much uh, movie uh, zombification of uh, Las Vegas. <laughs> it's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, For sure. I can't no, remember what right. that... Uh, you're right. That Netflix movie with Dave Bautista, right? That whole thing it was just that was crazy. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Nope. Probably not, but it was nope. crazy. Crazy, all kinds of wacky. Uh, just look up uh, Netflix Dave Bautista zombie movie. It is crazy. But the whole of Vegas has turned into a zombie movie. Maybe that's going on at Day of the Dead Las Vegas. Who knows? And finally, February 24th through 26th in Cary, North Carolina, in the Durham Research Triangle, as they like to call it. If it is Retcon 2023, Retcon 2023 is at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Raleigh-Durham. And again, the Raleigh-Durham Research Triangle, Cary, North Carolina. David, who you got? What's going on? Uh, okay, well, looks like I got a Brick Universe Little Rock over at State House Convention Center, Little Rock, Arkansas, from February 25th to the 26th. Uh, next on my list is Intercon. Uh, uh, the next month would be March 2nd to the 5th at Crown Plaza Providence Warwick Airport at Warwick, Rhode Island. Uh, my last on my list is Fairfax Comic Con, uh, one day only on March 4th, Doors Expo Center in Chantilly, Virginia. Charles, what's on your list? Well, let's start off with not just a horror con. So maybe they're going to do something with just, something besides just horror. That's going to be March 4th, the Holiday Inn Little Rock Airport Convention Center. Where, of course, Little Rock, Arkansas. Louisville Arcade Expo, March 10th through 12th at the Triple Crown Pavilion, Louisville, Kentucky. I wonder if our friend Shannon might pop into that one. And then World Steampunk Exposition, 
March 10 through 12, also at the Homes Home to Suite by Hilton Par Lafayette in Lafayette, Louisiana. And now, computer news. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. Okay, Eric, you've got our first story tonight. Yeah, Jim, tonight our first story is A Remembrance. Maggie Threat, Star Trek and Three in the Attic actress, has unfortunately died at 76 years old. Maggie Threat, the actress and singer, who portrayed one of the three glamorous humanoids who required pills to keep them from aging on the early Star Trek episode, Mud's Women, has died. She was 76 years old. Threat died Sunday of natural causes in a hospital on Long Island, her rep Scott Ray told The Hollywood Reporter. Threat also starred as a flower child alongside Yvette Mameau and Christopher Johnson and Judy Pace in the sex revenge romp Three in the Attic from 1968, a box office hit for indie distributor AIP. She and the film received a mention not on a TV spot that played in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on Mud's Women, which premiered on October 13, 1966, as the sixth episode of NBC's Star Trek. It was shot as the series' second installment. Threat with her long brown hair, dazzled in a sparkling emerald green gown as Ruth Bonaventure. She and fellow aliens Eve McCurran, played by Karen Steele, and Magda Kovacs, played by Susan Denberg, played prospective brides pimped out by Roger C. Carmel's Harry Mudd, but they needed a Venus drug to preserve their illusion of beauty. Diane Pine was born on November 18, 1946, in New York City. She attended the high school for the performing arts in Manhattan as a model and appeared on the cover of Harper's Bazaar in 1964. She also recorded the single Your Love Is Mine with the B-side Lucky Girl and then had a minor hit a year later with the song Soupy, produced by Bob Crew best known for his work with the Four Seasons. Crew advised her to change her name to Maggie Threat because, quote, he thought it sounded British and with it uh, and more with the time. <laughs> Threat signed with the Universal Pictures and in 1966 appeared in the sci-fi film Dimension 5 and is a surfing assassin named Wipeout in the secret agent comedy of the site. The year also saw her show up on television on Run For Your Life, The Wild West, and Star Trek. She went to appear in other films, including The Devil's Brigade from 1968 and Covered Me Babe in 1970, and on such television shows as Cinnamon Strip, The Most Deadly Game, I Dream of Jeannie, McLeod and Run, and... Oh, McLeod, ding in 1974, and worked as a backup singer in studios and on stages throughout the 80s. She was also a nurse. So unfortunately, Maggie Threat lost this year at the age of 76 years old. Paul, 
What do you have for us? All right, so go with me here, okay? Maggie Threat was also a nurse. You're hit by a car. You're unconscious. You wake up in the hospital. You're in your, you know, your room, right? And who comes up to you? There's the nurse to take care of you, one of Mud's women, okay? What the hell? I, I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> That's just like, somebody had that experience, I'm sure. You know, they're like, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) Reality is crazy. So uh, that's that's one of those weird when worlds collide things that you just know somebody had that experience at some point. You look strangely familiar, miss. Uh, Do you have a green evening gown? Um, (laughs) Anyhow, getting more serious. We'll transition to our next story, friends, where the Roddenberry Foundation has teamed up with Planet Labs to send a Star Trek tribute into orbit. Because today a new project has been announced, sponsored by the Roddenberry Foundation and an organization called Planet Labs. Now, Planet Labs is the leading provider of global daily satellite imagery and geospatial solutions. Breaking that down, that means that Planet uses their fleet of satellites in orbit of Earth to drive positive global change. Users can access Planet's software, tools, and analytics to use imagery of the planet, our planet, Earth, to watch what is happening to the global environment and transform their observations into positive change. Now, with the support of the Roddenberry Foundation, they are launching a new fleet of Super Dove satellites designed to commemorate Star Trek and its legacy. The satellites will be launching on a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket, and once in orbit, they'll continue the work of planets' other satellites taking high-res images. But what makes this new flock of satellites of special interest is that many of them will be adorned with artwork and quotes that celebrate the legacy of hope and inclusiveness of Star Trek and its creator, Gene Roddenberry. How freaking cool is that? Planet Lab CEO Will Marshall explained, launches are always a special milestone for Planet, but this one particularly so. Through Star Trek. Gene Roddenberry inspired the world to look to the stars in wonder and hopeful curiosity. In a similar vein, we at Planet look to space to help life here on Earth and are honored to partner with the Roddenberry Foundation to use space to help celebrate his legacy. Rod Roddenberry added, Star Trek showed us a future where diverse peoples come together across differences to work for the common good. We are thrilled to celebrate that vision with Planet by taking the Boldly Go campaign to space the final frontier. That is cool, friends and neighbors. That is using technology for mutual betterment and to help be good for us all, to help us somehow evolve out of this uh, quagmire we're in in the early days of the 21st century and, uh, and get someplace better. So kudos to you, Planet Labs. Uh, that is absolutely outstanding, and uh, it's nice to put a bit of poetry and genuine affectionate nods on your technology. So very, very cool. Charles, what's going on for you, sir? Okay. What happened to Kirk's crunch after Star Trek Four? When Shatner's on ship in Star Trek Four, the voice home. But what happened to the vessel after the crew completed their mission is ambiguous. Originally acquired by Kirk in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, 
A former crew of the U.S. Enterprise used the stolen Klingon bird of prey to travel back in time to Star Trek IV. <clears throat> After Kirk returned to the present, the Klingon ship could be seen singing, sinking <clears throat> in the San Francisco Bay. But while Kirk and his crew were awarded a new ship, the USS Enterprise A, <clears throat> for their valor and valor in saving Earth, despite the significance of Kurt's Klingon ship in Star Trek IV, its ultimate fate is not directly addressed in the original film series. Possessing a Klingon bird of prey would offer Starfleet a rare chance to study the Klingon engineering, including its infamous cloaking device. While the fate of Kurt's Klingon ship is not directly addressed after Star Trek IV, an unusual, an unused concept for a, the Klingon story in Star Trek VI, the undiscovered counter provides a more likely answer. An early storyboard <clears throat> shows the Klingon bird of prey being disassembled by Starfleet, likely to study its weapon and close cloaking technology. Despite not being in the completed film, this storyboard comes closest <clears throat> to providing the official explanation of what happened to Kirk, Kirk's Klingon ship after Star Trek IV. As Mr. Spock would say, seizing the opportunity to study a Klingon ship would be most logical. This concept would have thematically appropriate for Star Trek VI gave the focus on the Federation's peace with the Klingons. So we would start with Starfleet studying the bird of prey for strategic advantage, only for the threat of a second Klingon war to finally come to an end by the story's conclusion. Kirk's stolen bird of prey may have been valuable to Starfleet, but Kirk himself would agree that it was even more valuable, even if it meant whole, handing over a stolen bird of prey after Star Trek for the voyage home. <clears throat> Interesting idea on that one. <clears throat> Jim, Absolutely. I think you got something about uh, Denise Crosby. Yeah, but I think I think we're going to jump to David here because uh, there's a story here for David. Oh, okay. Well, it looks like the USS Enterprise E appeared in Star Trek Prodigy Final Battle. In Supernova, Part 1, the first part of the season finale of Star Trek Prodigy, the USS Protostar was greeted by an armada of Starfleet, <coughs> Starfleet vessels. This included the actual USS Sovereign, USS Secura, USS Defiant, and USS Centaur. This fleet first attacked the Protostar and at a couple of points during the battle, a different Pacific Sovereign-class ship could be spotted. The USS Enterprise-E... The Enterprise <clears throat> could be identified uh, by the NCC-1701E registration, which can be seen at a few different points in the battle. After the deployment of the val uh living construct weapon, the Starfleet ships were infected and began to fire at each other. Many of the ships could be seen taking heavy damage, including what appears to be the Enterprise, the last appearance of USS Enterprise E was in the 2002 film Star Trek Nemesis, set in the year 2379. The Prodigy season finale is set five years later in 2384. 
by which time Jean-Luc Picard had been promoted to Admiral. So it isn't known who would be in command of the USS Enterprise E. Probably a bunch of troubles? I have no idea. Sometime later in the 24th century, the USS Enterprise E was replaced by the Enterprise F, which will be first seen in the third season of Star Trek Picard. <clears throat> On Twitter, Matalas suggested that flagships take a beating, and it is certainly taking a beating in Prodigy. It's possible that the Prodigy season finale battle led to the launch of the Enterprise S. Nice. Yes, and the reason why I put that article in there is because the question keeps popping up, what happened in the Enterprise E, and we're gonna. Why are we seeing the Enterprise F in Picard season three, when we don't know what happened to Enterprise E? Well, Prodigy kind of just answered that question for us. Um, I, I, it's assumed that the Enterprise E is severely damaged um, and not recommissioned, and that a new ship is an Enterprise F would be commissioned for season three of Picard. So. That's why I threw that in there. Well, guys, you know what time it is. Yeah, unfortunately, time to say goodnight. So I want to say hey. thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Paul for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Paul. Hey, it's my absolute pleasure. I, I think I worried we missed a, a crazy news story there, but I think it was just the me staring through the uh, the the time zone or something. I don't know. Maybe we didn't. But yeah, it's a uh, time flies, doesn't it? <laughs> it does fly, especially when you're excited. To, excited to start talking about uh, things next year. Yes, next year we'll be back again. And thank you so much to David for hanging out and truck talking with us, David. Yeah, hey, you're welcome. Thanks. This was a lot of fun. And thank you so much to Charles for hanging out and truck talking with us. Thank you, Charles. Oh, thank you. This is a fun episode to talk about. And, of course, thank and you to Eric for talking with us. Thank you so much. A talk. Lots. Thank you, guys. Uh, had, a, nope, had a great time, as always, just letting Charles get his word. Thank you, guys. It was fun, as always. And I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying that next week we will be, we will be back with the first show of 2023. Hard to believe. And we'll be talking about Prodigy Supernova Part 2, which is the episode which is on tonight. And speaking of Prodigy, guys, I've been in contact with Aaron Walkie, who uh, is one of the – I don't want to get his title wrong. He writers. is one of the executive producers and one of the writers of Star Trek Prodigy. And he's going to be joining us at a future date uh, to talk about Star Trek Prodigy. We had him on a little while ago. But there was a lot of things he couldn't talk about because the season was still ongoing. Now that it's over, he can come on and talk about everything. So keep your eye out on uh, TrekTalking.com for information on that. All He's right, such guys, a good I'm guest, too, man. He's great. He He's so entertaining. And what a fan. Yeah, you know, that's what's great about him. He's a fan just like us. Yeah, he's got a crazy deep wealth of knowledge, right? And he's just like, he's, 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 just, he's totally like whatever, you'll mention something just off the cuff, and he's totally ready to geek out and go deep on it, man. He, he was really entertaining guest. Love knowing that yeah. it's guys like that working that show. It really shows. 
And I think that's why Prodigy is the way that it is, you know, because people like him have the range. So, yeah, keep an eye and out. You for just the- know that the, that they love the show, that they love all things Star Trek, that they just they do it for free. <laughs> I don't mean, mean to say that out loud, Aaron, but <laughs> who, who else but a diehard Star Trek fan would throw in a reference to Janeway being a slug and mating with with <laughs> Tom Yeah, right. I mean, you have, you have to be a Star Trek fan to get that reference, and obviously he is. So, at any rate, guys, I'm Uncle Jim, and I want to say to everybody, please stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Happy New Year. Good night. Good night. Next year. Stay safe. Party hard. <laughs> Let's see what's out there. Engage. <laughs>